0: If you'd like, if you have your Bibles, if you'd like to turn, and I'll get it from here, turn to the book of the prophet Ezekiel in the Old Testament. The book of the prophet Ezekiel in the Old Testament. Can I tell you that when this passage or this part of God's word, the book of Ezekiel, came to mind as something we should turn our hearts to, I have to say the first thing I do is usually look in the filing cabinet at old sermons to see how many old sermons I might have. I have a number to do with the book of Isaiah. I have less, quite a few less on the book of Jeremiah. I had two on the book of Ezekiel one on two passages later on one to do with the shepherd and the sheep and one to do with the valley of the dry bones both standing on their own right I'm not sure why I touched upon them at some time but I obviously had sometimes since I've been here at park and and probably that explains that it was a degree of hesitation that I turned to the book of Ezekiel because as we'll see as we look at least a part of it it's certainly of all the prophets probably certainly of all the major prophets. Ezekiel, well, he was a bit out there. He certainly had some visions that would put put parts of Daniel, the book of Daniel, and parts of the book of Revelation almost in the shade. Um, He had some very um, strong, expressive ways of bringing God's word to God's people, and and, and and quite difficult ways of actually understanding interpreting what that means. So first and foremost, let me assure you, I have no intention of preaching through the whole 48 or 49 chapters of the book of Ezekiel. If I wanted to kill off Zoom and wanted to kill off you sitting watching YouTube, that's what I would do, and will not be doing that. It would stretch more than stretch my abilities and also your patience. But what we are going to do over the next few weeks is look at the opening section of the book of Ezekiel and and seek to hear what God's word has to say, what God has to say through his word, through this prophet, who I hope over the next few minutes you'll see, spoke at a time of challenge as we are going through a time of challenge. So let's read these opening verses from the book of Ezekiel, chapter one, and we read from verse one. In my 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day, while I was among the exiles by the Keber River, the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. On the fifth of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi by the Keber River in the land of the Babylonians. There, the hand of the Lord was on him. Well, amen, and may God bless and indeed speak through the reading and reflection on his word. If there are any who would like to explore more, then certainly I'll be saying on the book of Ezekiel, can I commend to you? one of the Bible Speaks Today books, The Message of Ezekiel by Christopher Wright, by Chris Wright. Uh, Excellent. It's a commentary, but a commentary for preachers or a commentary for people to read and to reflect on themselves. There are many commentaries, far weightier and and bigger in size, but this is more for edification and reflection and so I commend that to you. And I don't apologize that this is the one actually that I'm using most in our thoughts and our reflections. At least I can understand this where some of the other Are beyond, as I say, they they delve so much into the Hebrew that I I really would be struggling. And so I commend this to you. I I don't know whether many of us even have much of an idea as to the context of the book of Ezekiel and actually what's happening. That's why these opening verses are so important to us. Actually, scholars, by looking at the dates and, and, and reflecting on the history of Israel, can actually tell us that this event took place probably very high likelihood on the 31st of July on 593 BC. Who says the Bible isn't based on history and in time and in fact? by looking at the evidence here and by the story and the circumstances that we have, including evidence from Babylonian records and everything else, it's likely that this man, this man, Ezekiel's birthday, was in the five, or this event took place on the 31st of July 593 BC. Who is this man? Well, what about the man? What was his name? The name is Ezekiel. Well, literally means, may the Lord strengthen. May the Lord strengthen him. And when his parents were told that his father was Buzi, or Baziah or whatever you pronounce it, a priest, when he was given that name by his parents, It probably was given at a time when there was increasing awareness that any child, Born into society, into Judah, the kingdom of Judah, the little southern kingdom of Judah, at that time was going to need God's strengthening. Interesting, this morning I was just speaking to our neighbor that's across the road over this last nine, ten months. I've got to know him quite well, because quite often as I go out the door of the church, he's out his front door having a wee sly smoke, and we wave over and chat to each other. And I went over, as I often do, and had just a wee chat this morning before the service started. He was just saying of his concern for his children and grandchildren. He's of ages, a man of my own age. And and any of us with children, bringing up children or thinking of grandchildren in the present circumstances would be concerned, not just about COVID. We hear so much about the immediate virus, but as we've been reminded by Dr. Philip, as we're reminded many other ways, there are many other challenges that are going to be played out in the weeks and months and years that lie ahead. And may the Lord strengthen him, may well be a good name to give to any child as they come into this world at this present time, as it was for Ezekiel's parents when he was born. As I've told, his father was a priest. That means that he was therefore more than likely based in Jerusalem. And very much the life of that young boy as he was brought up would be centered upon Jerusalem, upon the temple, that great temple that had been built by King Solomon, one of the wonders of the ancient world in many ways where all the great liturgy and rituals of the Jewish faith were celebrated. It had been built three centuries before, and it seemed to symbolize in sandstone the fact that God was in the midst of the people. That psalm that we read earlier in the service spoke about going up to Zion, going up to Jerusalem, to that city set upon the hill. And the temple and all the things associated with that temple spoke of God being in the midst of his people and ezekiel's life would be formed and his education his understanding of the society his awareness of the world would be seen through the prism of the worship of god centered upon the temple we can't be sure, at least scholars can't be sure for a fact, but it's possible. His father was a priest, and Ezekiel, we're told, was a priest. He was in a line of priests, perhaps in the line of the priests of Zadok. We've never heard of the music, Zadok the priest. And, and there was that line went going right back to the Levitical priests of the time of Moses. And the role of the priest was to be a teacher of the law, was to be a celebrant of the rituals of Israel and was to be someone who had access into the very inner courts of the temple. And indeed the high priest would actually have access into the Holy of Holies where the covenant, the Ark of the Covenant originally had been planned to be there and and where the worship of God was most encountered as God in all holiness was met with. We remember, do we not, perhaps from the book of the prophet Isaiah um, Isaiah's encounter in the temple, when he himself had that vision of the Lord, a vision that really dramatically changed his life. Isaiah 6 In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. And Isaiah says, Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, and with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And then Isaiah is commissioned to go And so the temple and the worship of God, that awareness, that God awareness, would have been part and parcel of Ezekiel's life. And if he was part of that Levitical line of priests, taking on, in a sense, from his dad, then as he celebrated his 30th year, he'd be entering into his prime As someone, therefore, who's well past his prime, um, I'm well aware that, of course, at 30 in the ancient world, you would be of a mature age for 25 years. You'd have been preparing for the day when you were 30. Between 30 and 40 was the period, the age range in which you served as a priest. And so this should really have been the start of his career, the start of his life, the start of his ministry. And his name, may the Lord strengthen him, would have been in the heart, that awareness of the need of God's help in order to do his job. However, it wasn't as it seems. We're told that he was in the 30th year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day, but we're then told that it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim and that Ezekiel was among the exiles by the Keber River. By the land of the Babylonians. You see for Ezekiel. This day, this event, this birthday or this celebration or this time of new beginnings. Wasn't taking place in Jerusalem. It was taking far from Jerusalem. It was taking place in the land of the Babylonians. Why is that? What are the events? Well, we're told it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim. Again, in your Bibles, if you want to turn back to the book of Kings, just to get us some understanding of the setting for the story. Second Kings. Now, the book of Kings is the story of the kings of Israel and of Judah. Now, I've said, explained before, we know the story. After Solomon died, there was a rebellion and the kingdom of Israel split in two. There was the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, and there was a kingdom of Judah, Judea. And there was on that throne, the kingdom of Judah, a Davidic king, somebody who was the house and line of David. The northern kingdom, they set up their own kingship. And very quickly, the northern kingdom went off the rails and became idolatrous and took on the worship of all the different nations round about the worship of Baal and Elijah and all that sort of thing the kingdom of Judah they had a mixed time so for instance and I'm not going to read all of this obviously but in second kings chapter 23 we read of king Josiah renewing the covenant with God and a time of spiritual blessing took place and the kingdom of Judah the little southern kingdom was renewed and reinvigorated spiritually And yet we read in chapter 23 that his son became king, verse 31, and he reigned in Jerusalem three months and he did that which was evil, verse 32, in the eyes of the Lord, just as his predecessors had done. And the whole story of the book of Kings is just that. There were kings like Joash and Josiah and Hezekiah who were good men, godly men, who sought to bring the kingdom of Judah back to God and focus on what was really their identity. They got their identity, not because they were a big nation. The kingdom of Judah was a little small nation. Two tribes really made it up. Not because it was a big nation, not because it had military power or might, because it wasn't. It was insignificant, especially in the rising power politics of the age with Babylon, with Assyria first and then Babylon on one side and Egypt on the other. It wasn't anything to do with that. They got their identity, they got their security, they got their hope, they got their significance by their relationship with God. And there were godly kings who reminded the people of that and brought them back. But there were many others who did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And that was a continued refrain throughout the book. And eventually, when we get to chapters 23 and 24 of the book of Kings, things come to a head. We don't have time this morning to read through this whole story. That in itself would take up a whole sermon. But read it through later on your own. Chapters 23 and 24 of the book of Kings. You'll see there that little Judah was sandwiched between these powerful nations. And Egypt on one side took a chance at trying to get something out of them. And they were bought off. Indeed, earlier on in the story, Hezekiah took the gold off the doors of the palace and of the temple. And used that to buy off the Egyptians. And then Nebuchadnezzar comes on the scene, and we're told in chapter 24 that he invades the land. And the, that king at the time becomes his vassal for three years. But then he turns against Nebuchadnezzar and rebels. And the Lord said Babylonian, Armenia, Moabite, and Ammonite raiders against him to destroy Judah in accordance with the word of the Lord proclaimed by his servants, the prophets. Verse 2 of chapter 24 of Second Kings. And surely these things happened, the writer say to Judah, according to the Lord's command, in order to remove them from his presence, because of the sins of Manasseh, one of the earlier kings, and all he had done, including the shedding of innocent blood. For he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, and the Lord was not willing to forget. And the story goes on, the king of Egypt doesn't come to the rescue, another king appears on the throne, and we're told in verse 9 of chapter 24, he does evil in the eyes of the Lord, that king of Jehoiakim, the one mentioned in the book of Ezekiel. And we read at that time, verse 10, the officers of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, advanced in Jerusalem and laid siege to it, and Nebuchadnezzar himself came up to the city while his officers were besieging it. And Jehoiakim, king of Judah, his mother, his attendants, his nobles, and his official officials all surrendered to him. In the eighth year of the reign of the king of Babylon, he took Jehoiakim prisoner. As the Lord had declared, Nebuchadnezzar removed the treasures from the temple of the Lord and from the royal palace and cut up the gold articles that Solomon, king of Israel, had made for the temple of the Lord. He carried all Jerusalem into exile, all the officers and fighting men and all the skilled workers and artisans, a total of 10,000, only the poorest people of the land were left. Nebuchadnezzar took Jehoiakim captive to Babylon he also took from Jerusalem to Babylon the king's mother his wife, his officials and the prominent people of the land the king of Babylon also deported to Babylon the entire force of 7,000 fighting men strong and fit for war and a thousand skilled workers and artisans and he made Mataniah Jehoiakim's uncle king in his place and changed his name to Zedekiah. And you can read on, of course, that Zedekiah himself then rebelled, and there was complete destruction of Jerusalem some years later. We'll touch upon that at a later date. And so the context is Ezekiel was one of those, his family, is one of those who's been taken into exile. We get some idea of the trauma of that in the book of Psalms. This well-known psalm, or at least maybe not well-known, but one that's the opening words are familiar to. Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept. When we remembered Zion, there on the poplars we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. And so, Ezekiel and many others. He's among the exiles, we're told, back to the book of Ezekiel. He's by this Keber River, which probably was actually a canal, an irrigation canal, probably made by the slave workers that consisted of many people, including Jewish people. He's there by that river on that day, the fifth year of their exile. We perhaps at the present time wonder you know, we have the vaccine and we're assured that that's going to work and that things will change. But then in the same breath, we're also told that the regulations and the circumstances we're in are probably going to last for many more months. Indeed, probably in one form or other for the remainder of this year. And the general feeling I certainly pick up, many of you pick up, is that people are getting wearied, wondering when this is going to end. And I can understand that. I feel the same. And that perhaps quite helpfully helps us understand how Ezekiel, at least in some small way, how Ezekiel and the rest of the exiles felt far away from their own home. They were physically in exile. We may feel that we've been locked in or locked down. We may well feel in one sense we're in exile in that our society, the way things were and the way things were done, this building sitting like this in the Lord's day empty, apart from Gregor and, and one of our office bearers. All of that is strange and alien to us. We may wonder, how can we sing the Lord's song in such a strange land? Well, that gives us a little bit of insight, only a little bit of insight, of what it must have been like for Ezekiel and for the Lord's people in such strange times. And as we shall see, it was going to get worse before it was going to get better. I'm afraid to say it was going to get worse before it was going to get better. And so the man, the Lord, strengthens him, but he's been strengthened in the midst of very, very difficult times. And surely that's a relevance and a word for us today. But in the midst of that, as we move on towards closing, we read this, that he was among the exiles. But what do we read? The heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God, and then it goes on to say in verse two, in the fifth of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, the priest, the son of Buzi, by the Keber River in the land of Babylonians, and there the hand of the Lord was on him. In this most unlikely of circumstances, in this most unlikely environment, in this most unlikely geographical setting hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem, but God was at work. And how we need to affirm that as God's people over these past nine months and over all that will lie ahead. And as I say, the gentleman across the road was just speaking of that and the challenges that are going to be faced, paying off this massive debt, trying to rebuild our society, dealing with the whole issue of our children who have been affected through the lack of education and the problems Do that, dealing with unemployment, a whole host of very traumatic issues that as a country, and that's, that doesn't include Brexit, doesn't include a possible vote on independence how are we going to deal with all of that whereas believers we affirm what ezekiel was affirming and experiencing that the word of the lord came to him interesting enough we read as it say that the heavens were opened and i saw visions of god that reminds us of course of what we touched upon last sunday in the book of Revelation where John was in a very unlikely setting on the island of Patmos. And he wasn't there for a holiday. He hadn't come off a cruise boat. Um, he was there because he was captive. He was under house arrest. And nonetheless, as we saw last Sunday, on the Lord's Day, there was he was in chapter 4 of Revelation, I looked and before me was a door standing open in heaven and the voice I first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here. And I will show you what must take place after this. And next Sunday we'll look more at what actually Ezekiel and John in a sense saw through that open door. The vision of God. But the fact is that the heavens are opened. Jesus Christ has gone as our great high priest He has the key that opens heaven's door and in him and through him we can even in the most unfortunate circumstances encounter with God and my friends we should be ashamed if we cannot testify to that. Why should we be ashamed? Well first of all because it's true and by failing to testify to that we're denying it's true but also we should be ashamed by fellow believers. Here is Ezekiel in a refugee camp. A slave camp beside a canal in the heat of the Mesopotamian plain. Here are believers today in refugee camps in the Lebanon and in Greece and in other parts of the world. Believers who have had to flee the land of Syria and Iraq. And yet as you hear their testimonies as they live in these hell holes of places that make lockdown look as if it's a holiday camp they testify to what they testify to the fact that even in these awful circumstances with our homes devastated with family members often dead or not knowing where they are they too testify that the heavens open that God is with them and that he is still speaking into their life so shame on you brother or sister If you're sitting at home this morning feeling sorry for yourself and saying, well, I don't know anything of God in this. Shame on you. For the Lord is real. And he delights to meet with his people. And we see that here. He had a glimpse of glory. He had a glimpse, and we'll see next Sunday, of just a massive picture of the might of God. And of course, if we don't see that with the eyes of faith, If we don't hear that with the ears of faith, then, of course, our cares and concerns, our self-interest, and everything else will lock us down, ultimately, in unbelief and in idolatry. And that, of course, is what was happening to many of the exiles in Ezekiel's day, and we'll look at that over these coming weeks. He saw a vision of God, and the heavens were open. He heard the word of God. God spoke to him. And the hand of the Lord was upon him. He sensed the spirit of God working upon him and within him. And so at this time, when churches are closed, and when the work of the kingdom does seem thwarted and hindered, when as a church in the West we're experiencing in some ways exile conditions and let's not forget that actually the church has thrived and the church's story is often when it's in exile when it's in egypt or when it's in babylon and it's often become sinful and idolatrous and wayward when it's settled and content the story of israel the story of the kingdom of judah is a story about that we become complacent and lazy Whereas when the church is under the trials and we saw that when we look at the book of Acts under the pressure of that. Or when in global history it's been under a time of persecution and we saw last Sunday the persecution in many ways is to be the norm of the life of the church. Or when certainly it's no longer that pillar of the establishment that so often we th- think the church should be. I remember David Miller saying more than once that Christendom, that concept that the church should be one of the pillars of the state and should be the centre of the state. is one of the worst things that's ever happened to the church. In some ways Constantine should never have been converted away back in the 4th century because it's been a disaster for the church, that concept of thinking that everything should be the way that we think it should be with everything nice and comfortable, that is the road, the broad road that leads to ruin. Whereas the church in exile, as I say, either in Egypt or in Babylon or in these present times is a church that can grow to rediscover the glory of God to hear afresh his words speaking into our hearts with added significance and power to know God's hand upon us in our weakness, his strength, being made perfect. May the Lord strengthen us. We need to know, like Ezekiel, his presence. But as we shall see over these coming weeks, we also need to know more of the glory and majesty of God who holds that scroll of our history in his hands. And so let's worship that God together as we hear the great hymn, Glory Be to God the Father. Let's pray together. God our Father, we end our time together in worship before you. Glory in who you are, the mighty God, the ruler of heaven and earth, and the God who delights in many ways to turn things upside down, as we remember Jesus doing that in the temple, your son doing that in the temple, so we remember that you're the God that turns Our understanding of how things should be, including how the church should be in our society and how things should be about our faith and how life should be in our world. And you turn it upside down so that we might discover more of your majesty and might, your faithfulness and your mercy. We thank you for these opening verses of the book of the prophet Ezekiel. There'll be much in this book, Lord, that we won't understand. There's much in the book that I certainly will struggle with in terms of its imagery. But there'll be much, Lord, we know that we can understand and we can hear from you. Heavens are open. We see visions of you, O God. Your word comes to us. And the hand of the Lord is upon us. And so, in deep humility, in grief over our sinfulness, and we identify with Judah and its hot and cold response to you often, and in a hunger for a faith revived and renewed, we offer your worship and praise, O God, on this your day. And now may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, rest upon us and journey with us now and forevermore. And the people of God said, Amen.